Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I hope you're prepared to go to a Knicks game in full disguise after saying what you just said about James Dolan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. What's up, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I'm joined by my trusted co-host, the USA losing in the FIBA tournament to LeBron trying to assemble the basketball Avengers for the Olympics. It's Adam Amwala. Adam, how's it going? It's going better for me than it was for the uh, USA team in the uh, in the FIBA championship. Yeah, you know, they didn't make the championship game. They lost the bronze medal game to Team Canada, who did have New York Knicks player R.J. Barrett on the team. So I can at least go with that and ignore the fact that two Knicks were on the American team. But, you know, Dylan Brooks, who was on the Canadian team, LeBron's nemesis, I guess, because mm-hmm. I guess LeBron always like only beefs with people that are way worse at basketball than him. Yeah, like Lance Lance Stevenson. It was like the Deshaun Stevenson thing when he was on the Cavs. Lance Stevenson. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's a Stevenson thing. Could be. LeBron is never beefing with players of his stature. It's very strange. But he's got that beef with Dylan Brooks, who was on the Canadian team. So now LeBron was like, yo, I'm calling in the big guns. And we're going to play at Paris in the 2024 Olympics. Which like probably was going to happen anyway. But now there's like the extra motivation of, I can't let Dylan Brooks win. I mean, I didn't take it for granted that LeBron would play, given his age. Like, you would think at this stage of his career, he might want to just save whatever energy he has left for uh, for playing for the Lakers and playing with Bronny eventually. Who was the mm-hmm. thing they used to call Maple Jordan? Is that Andrew Wiggins? That was Andrew Wiggins. They Great nickname. Which... I respect that type of nickname, which is just, it's just silly. He's good at basketball and he's from Canada, Maple Jordan. There good. you go. Like, I love a just straightforward nickname. We've got too many names based on people's initials or numbers or whatever. Just straightforward. I like it. I like that kind of nickname. We need more of those nicknames true. in the league. It is, uh, I got to say, it is a little surprising that Dylan Brooks is Canadian because I, I think of Canadian people as being very mild-mannered oh, and polite, and he's kind of a douche. Yeah. He's, I mean, kind of doing a lot of heavy lifting. That guy just sucks. (laughs) (laughs) He just seems like a not nice person to be around. But let's get ready to talk about more basketball stuff. Let's get prepared in the best place to get prepped, the Teal Memorial Locker Room. Only nice people in there. Exactly. Was going to say, Teal is nice and only nice people are allowed in. That is the stipulation to entry. So that's why we and all the horse listeners go in, because I would imagine only nice people listen to the show. Has to be the case. Now, you know who else is here. As we've mentioned, there are some nice folks, but you know who's especially nice and especially having a good time? Probably the people giving us the most amount of money, a.k.a. our producer-level patrons. That is correct. The podcast is free, but these people are going above and beyond. The patrons are going above and beyond, and these producers are going above and above and beyond. Shout out to those producer-level patrons. Polly Burridge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, How About Them World Champion Denver Steam Nuggets, Anna Reed, Steph Curry probably won't ever play with Damian Lillard, but he still hits threes. Bang. Hi, Trish. Nicole Shepard. Stubby Boardman gets paid. Chase Underulo. Mr. Bubbles plays ball. Naked Rachel. Sidney Crosby is a vampire. Ginger Spurs boy. And Josh isn't rich. I do believe there was an update on Sidney Crosby being or not being a vampire. Am I right? I tweeted that out. Yes, there was a promotional thing that the Pittsburgh Penguins do, which I think is very cool. Apparently, if you get season tickets, some player from the team delivers you them in person. That's so cool. And Sidney Crosby, wild that they got Sidney Crosby to do it. Like, usually these kind of, like, meet the people, meet the players things. It's like, when I was in Oakland, it was like, you can meet Mo Spates at a grocery store. It was literally a thing that I did, and I took an awkward picture with Maurice Spates, who was a fun, lovable but not very good player on the Golden State Warriors. But yeah, Sidney Crosby, the best player. Uh, I, I, I don't know much about hockey, but I'm pretty sure he's like one of the guys, like mm-hmm. a Durant-level person. Hand-delivered someone's tickets, and it was in the daylight. His skin didn't sparkle like the skin of a killer. Mm. But 
he delivered it to him and there was a whole bunch of family members waiting on the porch to receive him, which is super cool. Everyone wearing a jersey, which oh, was yeah. great. It is so. surprising though, because early baseball reference here, ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. I feel like whenever they have a player come out to catch like the honorary first pitch, it's never Aaron Judge, unless it's like a celebrity no. doing it. It's always like, you know, backup infielder Isaiah Kiner Falefa will catch this ball and hand it to the guy representing Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield, throwing out the mm. honorary first pitch. I do want to give one, uh, one extra shout out to a horse listener, uh, Natalie, who uh, came with her husband to watch my show at Zany's in Chicago on Monday, uh, Tuesday, excuse me. Uh, so much appreciated uh, to to Natalie and your and your beau. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. You know what else is fantastic? Getting dough from sponsors. Getting dough from sponsors, indeed. Our sponsor for this episode is Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon is a delivery kit service that will send you a box of all the fixins to make mixins. And by mixins, I mean mixed drinks. You just got to provide the booze. They provide everything else. You get recipes. You get ingredients. You get fun, wacky stuff. Like in the past, for nutmeg, they just give you a nut, and then you like grind it up, and then boom, nutmeg comes from just like a big nut. That's a fun thing you get with shaker and spoon sometimes i didn't know that yeah so if you want to celebrate something or just have a fun night in or have people over maybe to watch the WNBA playoffs something fun you can go to shakerandspoon.com horse you'll get 20 dollars off your first box which is about 50 percent, and you can have a wonderful time and impress your friends family loved ones etc so go to shakerandspoon.com horse and get yourself a box today there you go it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Now. Before we get into some other stuff, we're going to take a break for some other ads. Some of them will be read by us. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't read by us are inserted locally. If you live in a country that doesn't speak English, they might be in your country's native language. That is in English. But once those ads are complete, we'll get back to the rest of the episode of Horse. And we're back. Adam, what do you got going on? I guess the main thing that I would like to promote now that I uh, can stop haranguing and harassing everyone about my <laughs> Chicago show, um, obviously this is kind of a cross promotion, but you and I will be doing shows in uh, in Philadelphia and New York. Uh, I'll let you tell the people more about that, but um, I am officially doing a Boston show. I'm going to be headlining City Winery, the City Winery Loft in Boston on Sunday, November 5th. So if you are in the Boston area at all, I'll be staying with our, our good pal Chris Chan, the channel. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to uh, to staying in the the Reagan suite. I, I don't have time to explain it, but let it be known that we don't actually like Reagan. It's just a running joke. No, it was it was a running <laughs> yeah. thing. It's just a bit. It's just a bit. Don't read into it. I think even he has. I, well, I stayed recently at Chan's place, and I believe all the Reagan stuff has been hidden as the the years have gone on, and we've learned more and more. Like, oh, yeah. they suck a lot. <laughs> yeah, I think we all we always knew that, except for that one piece of information about Nancy Reagan that was very That's explicit a, a couple of years ago. Yeah. If you don't know, mm-hmm. feel free to look it up, but just be in prepared an incognito to be window. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure. Uh, Nancy Reagan, the goat of uh, something else. Anyway, let's <laughs> let's move on. Um, yeah, that, the main thing I have is that show. I'm working on setting up another headlining date in New York, as I usually do, like once a year at Stand Up New York. So hopefully that will be sometime in December. Um, but other than that, you know where to find me and follow me on all the things and uh, continuously booking more stuff. What about you? Mm-hmm. The shows that you referenced are the main things. By the time this episode comes out, I believe you still will be able to go to the September 28th DC show for the New Olympian. But we're doing October, Philly 1st, October 21st, and then 
New York the day after October 22nd, those will both also be at City Winery Lofts. So you're just doing a little run of all the C-dub lofts, as they definitely call them. (laughs) But for those shows with Adam in Philly, New York, Adam will open with a stand-up set, and then we will get into a discussion of the Percy Jackson movies, which can be divisive. So it'll be fun and spicy, and I'm sure the crowd will be super into it. You can get tickets to those And the other shows, I'm also doing a run of shows in Texas. I'm doing shows in December, going to be in Dallas on the 13th, Austin on the 15th, San Antonio on the 17th, and then Houston on the 19th. The shows that are in Austin and San Antonio are half Potterless, half the newest Olympian, and then the ones in Dallas and Houston are just the newest Olympian. You can get tickets to all that stuff on my website, which is shubes, S-C-H-U-B dot E-S slash tour. I'm excited. I'll have to see what the basketball schedule is for that run to see if, like... I was just going to say, yeah, three of those four cities are NBA cities, so... Right, and the joy of it is that I will just be driving my mom's car around Texas, so I can get flexible with the schedule as long as one of the teams is playing on a day that I'm not on stage. That would be very cool. So I'll try to see if I can finagle. Maybe I'll even be able to see Mr. Wimbenyama play in San Antonio. Could be fun. Could be fun. So yeah, that's what I've got going on. I think with all that complete, though, we can get into full court press. Get it like the news? I do. And so does the siren behind me. So does that siren. Now... I will begin this full court press, get it like the news, with a little recap of the WNBA playoffs, which are going on. Currently, as we record this, it is September 21st, and the first round of the playoffs are complete. And they were exciting in terms of the basketball games were good, but they were not exciting in terms of, like, the series being close and stuff, because every team that was a higher seed won, and all but one of the four series were sweeps. Now, they are best of three series in the first round, so there were three two. 2-0 sweeps and then one that was 2-1. to one. There were still some exciting games. There was that game where Sabrina Ionescu set the record for playoff threes where she just couldn't miss. Then there was an overtime game with the Liberty and the Mystics, which was really fun. You had the Sun and the Lynx have some really back-and-forth games. The Dallas Wings are now in the second round, and that is their first time ever making it to that round of the playoffs since moving to Dallas. So that's pretty cool. And one of the finest age takes I've ever had was at the beginning of the WNBA season being like, if you guys are looking for a fun team to root for, the Wings will be f- good this year. <laughs> it's They are really rising, and they have a lot of young players on their team that'll be fun. If they could give the Aces some trouble in that next round that could be very very interesting the aces played incredibly well the liberty played well and there was some emotional stuff after the series natasha cloud on the washington mystics had a really emotional press conference which was just nice to see and who knows i think her contract is up so she's not sure if she's going to return but you know she gave a really heartfelt speech about what being on the team has meant to her over the past couple of years so there's been some good stuff in the playoffs so far I'm excited for what lies ahead. Starting September 24th, we've got Aces versus Wings and then Liberty versus Sun. I would probably imagine we're going to be looking at Aces Liberty in the finals, but the Sun were solid this year as well. So we'll see if they give them a run for their money, if they fight against the super team, and it'll be interesting. And I believe the next episode that we put out after this will be on October 9th, which will be the day after the WNBA finals have begun. So I think what we should totally do is get Jordan Liggins on to discuss the finals for that episode once we know what the matchup is, and then we could do our classic dramatic things to look for in the finals. So that's what we've got ahead in terms of WNBA things. The other thing that did happen in WNBA news, we had mentioned this in the last episode, and then it was confirmed like the day after we recorded. Jewel Lloyd did get the most points in a single season, set the record. Her and Brianna Stewart were going back and forth. They were formerly teammates. Brianna Stewart left for the Liberty this season. They were going all back and forth, and then they had a game. Both the last game of the season was on the same day for them, and Jewel scored enough points to make it clear, and then the Liberty game ended, so it was set in stone that she was the leading scoring record champion of all time, which is super cool, and a bright note in an otherwise season for the Seattle Storm, who uh, didn't, didn't have a good one. Uh, Much more losses than wins, but we hope that will mean a good draft pick. So 
fingers crossed that we get someone awesome. Maybe uh, Caitlin Clark will find her way to my Seattle storm and we'll just skyrocket back into contention. Just a little one year blip on the radar of being bad. I would love that. Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, also, I just want to say there were sirens the whole that whole time, the whole time <laughs> that you were talking about the WNBA and everything regarding the playoffs. That it had to have been three or four minutes that there was just full on sirens. So very good timing. It was almost like you could hear them stopping, even though I was on mute. But yeah, I mean, sometimes that is the way you rebuild is just like sucking for a year, getting the best draft pick. And if it's a generational talent like a Caitlin Clark you might be good again in a hurry. Look at the San Antonio Spurs back in the day when David Robinson got hurt mm-hmm. and then they got Tim Duncan and then look at them. They were good for another 15 years after that. Right. I mean, the Seattle Storm basically did that too when Sue Bird was up for a new contract and like might have left. They weren't looking good. There were some injuries. And then, oh, they were really bad that one year and they got Brianna Stewart. And Sue Bird has admitted, like, I was probably going to go to another team. Yeah if we didn't get Brianna Stewart, but Brianna made us instant contenders. So that will be pretty cool. If that could happen, that would be fun. Just Jewel Lloyd and Caitlin Clark, just wreck and shop. I would love it. Jade Melbourne getting more run. My mm-hmm. beloved favorite player on the storm right now, because just the Australian name Jade Melbourne is perfect. <laughs> as far as we know, Diana Taurasi is going to play next year, right? I think so. I would imagine that someone with the stature of Diana Taurasi even though personality-wise, I don't think DT is going to necessarily want the whole parade of thank you stuff. Like, the league is going to make sure yeah. that they know because fans are going to want to be able to go out and see her and teams are going to want to be able to put together gifts and stuff like they did for Sue Bird. So I would imagine that DT is at least going to play next year and whenever that final season is, it will be known. I think they're going to advertise that. What do you think about that whole thing? The farewell parade? Yeah, like the idea of announcing like, hey, this is going to be my final season, knowing that then there's going to be all this fanfare versus doing the, you know, Tim Duncan thing where you just, after the season ends the next day, be like, hey, I'm retired now. I didn't want any of the BS. Mm -hmm. I personally love it as a fan because there are certain players, I did this when Kobe announced his last season, Mm -hmm. because what would happen is that anytime the Lakers came to any city that I was in, the ticket prices would be astronomical, and I just wouldn't want to deal with it. That's why I've never seen LeBron live, because it's just like $50 more at least just because LeBron is on the team. And when Kobe announced that and he was coming to Houston, I was like, okay, I'm going to go. And then our buddy Christian came down and we watched the game together and it was fun. I like it Because if there are people out there who are waiting and trying to save and they're like, oh, you know, I've never splurged on a so-and-so ticket, if they know it's the last chance, then, like, that's the time to spend the money or to really plan. It's a different situation, but I had never seen the Heatles play together, so Wade, LeBron, and Bosh, because I was in college when they were playing, and it was just like I was a college student. Like, I didn't have money to throw around to see a very expensive game. Either I buy books or I go to see the Heat. Exactly. So what I told myself was like, okay, once I graduate, I'm going to a Heat game next year. And that was that heat year where they lost to the Spurs and then it was the will LeBron come back or not. And I was like, there's no way he's going to leave. That would be wild. And then he ended up going to the Cavs and I was crushed because I was like, I'm going to a heat game this year. So I like it. Do you like it? Um, I do. I mean, I think sometimes there are moments where it feels like a little much where it's tough, right? Because I think the league does want it. And I do think it's cool as a fan, uh, you know, another baseball reference here, like Miguel Cabrera was just at Yankee Stadium. He's a a great player. He's played mostly for the Tigers uh, and for the Marlins before that. But like everyone knows it's his final final year, the same way that everyone knew it was Jeter's final year. And what's Mm -hmm. cool is that that every stadium he goes to, they give him some sort of like customized thing Mm -hmm. that is reflective of the city or something like that. So they gave him, he was just uh, playing the Dodgers and they gave him like his own Hollywood star, things like that. So I think it is cool. Mm -hmm. I just think that some people's personality is such that they don't want all the attention and they would rather just kind of lay low. But yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I was just curious to, to hear what you, you thought. Final button on this topic. Steph Curry, I think is the number one player I have not seen in the NBA that I really want to make sure I see before he retires. Who is your like number one? Would it be LeBron, I guess? I think it'll be LeBron just because yeah. I still haven't seen him. I was fortunate that I lived in Oakland during that first Warriors run when I knew the Warriors were really good and yeah. I liked the way they played basketball, but nobody else had caught up yet. That was the first season where they were really good. And I went to like seven games. <laughs> like I was yeah. just going all the time. So yeah, I think LeBron is number one for me just from a, I've not seen the guy yet. Like it's at the point where this season I'll probably go to 
when the Lakers come to New York, unless I'm like in a city, like if I happen to be on tour in a city like New Orleans where tickets are way cheaper yeah, and the Lakers yeah, are yeah. playing, then I'll be like, oh, well, let's do this. You it might know? be cheaper to fly to New Orleans and see the Lakers play the Pelicans than to go at the Garden. It honestly might be. There was a thing that someone did on Reddit years back where it was like, especially, I think it was maybe when the Pelicans really bad or the Thunder was really bad. It was the thing of like, is it cheaper to go to a courtside game at the Staples Center or fly, pay right. for a hotel. It might have even been like when the Hawks are really bad. And the answer was go somewhere else. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. People did it, that for Taylor Swift, I think. Although it was expensive oh, everywhere. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. But, but yeah, I, I'll have to see. But I, I think my one of my goals this year, I want to see LeBron this season. And I also got to make sure like he's not hurt because now that's a sure, thing that you have sure, to worry sure, about sure, with LeBron, sure. which you never had to worry about before. Yeah. Well, I mean... <laughs> Theoretically, we should have a long time to see her play, but I would love to see Sabrina Ionescu in person. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. got to get to a yeah. Liberty game. You got time. You got time for sure. Other stuff for Full Court Press. So that concludes the good news portion of Full Court Press. Get it like the news. The only other basketball stuff is bad. Like LeBron went to Saudi Arabia to like practice with their team or watch a practice. I don't know. Like that's bad because they're doing their whole sports washing thing where they're putting a bunch of money into sports to try to clear up their image, even though they treat people horribly. I mean, it's literally and, the real life version of the Ted Lasso, like Nigerian dude who wants to spend a gazillion dollars on making the best team. At least when Ted Lasso was just like the guy sucks, but like Saudi yeah, Arabia. Not, like, not a place that has like war crimes. It's like happening oppressive to, yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And like human rights violations. Yeah. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's it's very much like them trying to buy their image. So that's gross. And then there is a player on the Rockets, Kevin Porter Jr., who uh just it uh it's just we'll put a link to it on the episode page of horsesoups.com if you want to read about it. But like if you thought the Miles Bridges stuff was bad in terms of domestic violence, like this stuff is just as bad like it's just awful and you have to we have to major trigger warning for if you decide to look into it further but it's it's awful and tough and again just like bridges if the allegations are true which they certainly seem to be credible this guy should never be on an an nba court ever again and what's wild and i believe chris herring who was on the pod before chris herring wrote an article for sports illustrated and maybe we'll link to this one as well called something to the effect of, like, the NBA now has to put in a zero-tolerance policy, which I think baseball has. But basically, like, if a player is found guilty of any sort of, like, domestic violence abuse, anything in that realm, then teams have grounds just to, like, get rid of the player. You don't have to worry about contract ramifications, all that stuff. The NBA does not have that right now. And the NBA could be better about it because at least it seems like Miles Bridges is going to play this upcoming season, which is absolutely gross and horrendous. He has like a short, like 15 or 20 game suspension, which is bizarre. But the league would, I think, be a lot better if they had a zero tolerance policy because what's currently going on with the Rockets is they can't cut the guy from the team because of how contracts and stuff work. So they would have to either trade him to another team who could then cut him. Like if you receive someone in a trade, you can instantly waive them. Or so the Rockets would either have to trade him or just like wait until the investigation is complete. But that could take a long time. Exactly. Like it's a legal matter. Like it could take longer than the season. So it's just so weird that the Rockets are in a position where they can't just cut the guy because he's done some horrible things. And I think the NBA would be much better if they could at least be like, look, if he was criminally found guilty yeah. of this thing, like let's get this guy off the team immediately. Like we're wasting a roster I, spot. On I this was guy. under the impression that there was a way that you could put someone on like an unpaid leave of absence sort of thing. Like, I think that's what's happening with the Tampa Bay Rays and Wander Franco, which is like a right. horrible mm-hmm. situation. But um, I could be wrong about that. And obviously every sport has their own uh, rules in terms of how those things are handled, but it's right. It's, Silly to me that that any NBA team sh- wouldn't be able to uh, cut a player if they are <laughs> accused yeah. of something that heinous. I believe they are able to keep him away from the team and tell him to not show up to stuff, but I don't think that they can like truly officially cut him from the roster and like fill his roster spot. So more like nitty gritty contracty mm-hmm. type stuff than like yeah. you know he's not going to show up to training camp he's not going to be at media day he's not going to be on the right. team but like i don't know that they can say okay he's off the team let's bring in another rookie and give him some minutes or something like that but all that aside let's 
forget the grossness and let's continue on with the rest of this episode, which is going to be a very fun, wonderful interview with Jonathan Macri, who is someone that I've followed for a while now, someone who covers the Knicks and just does so in a very level-headed way. And we got to talk to Jonathan about just his history with covering the Knicks, especially a strange time like he started reporting for them when they were really bad and now they're good and just an interesting discussion where we talked a little bit about fandom and what it's like to have to deal with some fans who are way too optimistic or way too pessimistic and it was very interesting to hear it from the perspective of someone who covers the team and does so independently to where you know he does have to keep in mind that he gets his money and stuff from like people you know subscribing to his Substack and stuff like that so it's not just like oh i got a salary so if i'm mean to the knicks who cares like no he's got to like weirdly toe the line it was fascinating i thought it was a good chat and i think everyone listening will enjoy it And as we mentioned, now we have a very special interview, someone that I would argue is probably the best Knicks follow on Twitter if you want a good mix of comedy and also real basketball analysis. It's a little bit of fun, a little bit of analysis, all the good stuff. It's Jonathan Macri of Knicks Film School. Jonathan, how's it going? It's going good. Um, I I appreciate you saying I'm a good follow on Twitter, even though I don't really tweet all that much anymore. Uh, Although I guess I think that's a factor in it, you know? (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Good point. Um, Although I guess now that the season is going to be starting pretty soon, I'll uh, I'll get back into the swing of things a little bit. Yeah. So for anyone unaware, you do a lot of different writing and covering of the Knicks. You do podcasts, video, a whole bunch of stuff, all for Knicks Film School. How did you get into just covering the Knicks, you know, going obviously from fandom into the next step where you're actually looking into it more in depth and and covering the Knicks as your life? Man, it's been quite a journey. I mean, honestly, I've told the story before, but it generated from really a place of having time to kill. Uh, so I guess eight years ago now, um, yeah, that sounds about right. I switched careers from, from law to teaching. Um, and with that change, uh, started taking the train every day. Cause I, I was living in Long Island at the time and got a job teaching, uh, where I actually still teach now in, in Brooklyn. So I had an hour train ride each way to fill. And like, I had obviously always been interested in writing. I obviously always loved the Knicks and the NBA, um, and I'm like, you know what? Part of the reason I got out of law was to have a little bit more free time to pursue some interests. And one of those interests was writing. And I'm like, let me just try writing about the thing that I feel most passionately about. And that's the next. It's also, you know, thing I felt I knew the best. So I really just started, you know, like I think I had a Tumblr. I would jot some thoughts down Ooh. and yeah, talk about a deep cut. <laughs> uh, so I would, I would jot some thoughts down in there occasionally. And then, you know, one thing led to another. And eventually I, I kind of submitted uh, some of my stuff to a few blogs, got picked up. One thing led to another. And then eventually I, I you know, it, it built up. And now I, I, it's, I consider it a full-time uh, job, even though I do something else in addition. That's really cool. Now, you said Nick's fandom was always there. How did that begin? Was it something that you had ever since <laughs> diapers? Did your family bring you into it? What bestowed this curse that I share with you as a fellow Nick's um, fan? <laughs> I was late. To sports, to be honest with you. So other, I mean, like, you know, you hear a lot, like four or five, six years old, maybe uh, fandom starts for a lot of people. For me, I didn't start watching any sport until I think I was about nine or 10 years old. And the Knicks were the first sport. It was the 93-94 season. I like started to be aware of them in the 92-93. That's why I went to my first game. But I wasn't really a fan. 93-94, you know, that was a year for anybody who, who was listening and may not know where the Knicks went to their first finals, you know, or whatever it was since since in 20 years, basically, in, in two decades. Mm-hmm. And there was definitely a spirit that had kind of captured the city. And I, um, so a little brief personal history, um, I my parents separated when I was very young. So I, from as early as I could remember, would spend you know, either Fridays or weekends with my biological father and the rest of the time I'd be at home where my stepdad was. And it was this weird situation where like my stepdad and my dad could not be more different. But this thing they had in common was that that season, at least, they were both very into the Knicks. Um, So like it was this thing that I kind of shared with both of them at the same time, albeit from like different places. And like regardless of where I was, whether I was at home or I was with my dad, the Knicks game would be on. And they were great that year. It made it very easy and fun to follow, you know, 
even though it ended in, in somewhat heartbreaking fashion with a, a loss in the finals, um, I was hooked. Uh, you know, it, it didn't it didn't take anything else. I was hooked for life. That's really cool. Now, obviously, the Knicks have had their ups and their downs. We're currently in a slight up, which is pretty cool and a rare thing to have happen. When you got into covering the Knicks, when you have some of those seasons where it's just <laughs> it's just the doldrums and we're putting all of our hope into second round pick Ron Baker, <laughs> when when we're getting in the real like depths of Knicks fandom, what is it like both as a fan and then also as someone who's covering the Knicks? Is it tougher to cover the bad team? Is it weirdly like a fun challenge to say, like, what could I even yeah. write about? What? <laughs> I don't want to say the most fun I've ever had covering the team was the first year I, I want to say covering. I mean, so for instance, I started the podcast ahead of the 2018-19 season, which for anybody who may not remember, that's the year where, you know, they went into the season with a stripped down roster. Porzingis was injured. They ended up trading him in the middle of that year. But the intention was always to be bad. Uh, there's some discrepancy about how bad they actually intended to be, but they ended up winning 17 games, which was tied uh, for the lowest total in the in the seven, now 77-year history of the franchise. Um, but because the expectations were so low heading into that season and everybody was looking forward to the summer of 2019 where they were going to make this play for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the whole thing, and maybe they would get a top draft pick, whether it be Zion Williamson or whoever, um, it made the stakes for that season so low and in a way it was kind of enjoyable in this in this strange way because it's like all right we know we stink we know we're going to lose every game but hey mitchell robinson had eight blocks tonight let's be excited about that <laughs> and it was it forced you to grab on to the things that were good and like and i say it was kind of easy in a way because now at least over the last four years or every year so every year since then there have been expectations to varying degrees. Yeah. And when there are expectations and you don't win every game, um, fans are upset. And so now a big <laughs> part of what I do is like, you know, I, I hear out fans through like, you know, our chats and the post games who are just not happy with something or other because, you know, they didn't win or, or, or whatever. Back then, like nobody was really upset that they were losing because, again, it was kind of all part of the plan. I wonder sometimes now that I've been doing this for a little while and I'm a little bit more, uh, how, how can I put this politely? Like, I, I don't drink the Kool-Aid quite as fast, you know, right, like, sure. uh, you know, it, it, I wonder if I, if that season would have been as easy for me to be really enthusiastic about, but everything works out for a reason. It's like to this day, I still hear from a lot of people who say, Oh, I started following you back in 2018 and, uh, it was it was so great because everything was so negative and you were so positive about the team. I asked myself, like, could I still be that positive? If I was if I was going to cover that that year today uh, after having done this for a while and again, kind of taking a little bit of a different view. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. When you can tell that your team is tanking for a reason because they're trying to set themselves up for something, whether that be a draft pick or a big signing. And yes, obviously, the Knicks did not get Durant or Kyrie. And we all know how that turned out for the Nets. But um, you know, I, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, and as much as I would have uh, loved to have worn a Bulls shirt to troll both of you, I'd kind of be trolling myself because that's where the team is at. Like, the Bulls are are the one of the most frustrating teams, I feel like, in the league because they just seem rudder. They're right in the middle of the pack. They don't seem to be committed to tanking. They're right in this middle ground where they're clearly not good enough to compete, but they're also not bad enough to get a top draft pick. So I feel like in that season of coverage for the Knicks, it was probably a little easier because the expectations weren't there. You knew what the team was trying to do and then to your point you can hold on to like hey Mitchell Robinson had a great game or these people who are role players who might fit into the next phase of the team I mean we knew what they were intending to do what they wanted to do part of what made it nice also was there was a lot of doubt in the national media as to whether the Knicks were actually going to be able to pull this off and basically go from being the worst team in the league to being you know one of the best overnight and whether they were actually going to be able to attract these stars and there was a lot of snickering and it created this galvanizing effect where Knicks fans, I think that season, more than any other I can remember, really banded together to be like, look, we finally have a plan that could, if it works out, will, you know, will vault us to the top of the league. And I think that added something to that season that maybe, like, you know, like you're saying, maybe not 
might not be present otherwise. Yeah. I feel like I even had this conversation with Adam before we started doing the podcast together, where when the season was coming together as part of my, you know, seven steps of grief getting over the Porzingis <laughs> trade, because I was crushed at the time. I think I had the exact conversation of like, it's a very specific plan, but if it works, it'll be great. It was specific. (laughs) It's so narrow, but if all the stars align, and it's so funny that looking in retrospect, like I'm so delighted that we did not get the wildness that is KD and Kyrie, and now even Zion. It's funny, just like all the three people that we had our eyes on. It's like, hmm, maybe it is okay that we have Julius Randle and friends, and now Jalen Brunson is fun. And the team is in this weird, bizarre space, and this was my next question for you. I feel like this particular season, the Knicks are just like, like boringly normal. And it's bizarre because I just feel like the Knicks, it's always like, oh, we're either the laughing stock of the league and people are making fun of us or everyone's talking about us because we're trying to contend and we're doing these big swings. Like we're just like a team with like some good folks and some direction. Do you feel a strange sense of like, ah, they're just regular, which is the weirdest thing the Knicks can be. So the NBA is kind of interesting where in an interesting place where like there are, I think, unless I'm forgetting an era and I don't think I am, there are more teams that will go into next season that could honestly talk themselves into we can win the championship if everything break, breaks right mm-hmm. than I could ever remember. I think just again, off the top of my head, I think you could, and again, I'm not saying these teams could actually win the ch- championship, but I'm saying they could talk themselves into winning it at all. You could say, uh, in, not, sure. in, no, in no particular order, uh, Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Miami, uh, I'll throw Cleveland in there. Why not? I'm, I'm sure they could talk themselves into it. I'm sure the fans are talking themselves into it. And then out West, <laughs> Uh, Denver, L- both LA teams, uh, Golden State, um, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Sacramento. Obvious. Maybe Phoenix. a little Sacramento uh, start. I don't, I don't know if I even they're talking about like winning at all. Oh, Phoenix, Phoenix. I'm going to have to get Phoenix. But that's 10 teams right there. And then I think you have another eh, 10-ish teams, 10, maybe even a little bit more, maybe a little less, who the understanding is we're not competing for a title, but we also don't have all of our pieces right now. And we know through more drafting uh, or through internal development, we're going to get there. The Knicks are in this weird, in this section that's like kind of in between where again, it's only like eight or 10 teams, I think, that are in this where it's like, okay, we don't have enough to win it all this year, but all of those respective teams, at least not all of them, some of them have a blueprint to like, okay, we know this is the thing that needs to happen that will get us there. Now, I think. Some blueprints are cleaner than others. Um, and it's funny, we just talking about 2018-19. It's not all that different from then, because then the, the next plan was very clear. There was one plan. It was, we're going to try to sign KD and Kyrie. And if we don't get KD, Kyrie, maybe we'll get Jimmy Butler and Kyrie or, and, uh, you know, and, and Kemba Walker or whoever. And we're going to try to get a top draft pick and we'll be back. The same thing can be said about this team, where it's like there is only one plan. It is, we're going to trade our asset, our, you know, picks and, and young player X, Y, or Z for a superstar and then we will be a contender that's it that's the plan that's the only way they're ever going to contend but i think the view around the league is positive because a they're good b they're respectable um and c they do have the assets to swing such a trade it's just a question of you know who when um you know who who and when but those are two pretty big questions so like in that sense like yes it is nice to be normal and and pretty good and like not have any drama but there needs to be an understanding amongst the fan base that like look this team is not is not competing for a championship this year anybody who thinks like oh we made it to the second round last year like we're you know we must make it to the conference finals this year like i i think there's a lot of worlds where they could lose in the first round and it'd be considered a successful season just because the nba is so competitive and they just don't have that yeah. top 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 level talent where they're going to walk into the season and it's definitely going to end in you know multiple playoff round victories otherwise it's going to be disappointing yeah yeah but i mean i think you're the anomaly in terms of not drinking the kool-aid i, th- I think most sports fans even the more reasonable ones inherently have this approach where it's like if my team loses they're never going to win again and if they win a game they're going to win the championship and sometimes it's yeah. not a lot left in between. Um, I also would uh, pose to both of you the idea that a team owned by James Dolan always has potential for drama. Like, however normal you think this season will be, uh, you know that something bizarre could happen. It's fair. Uh, listen, I never... The Dolan Spectre, that will never go away as long as he owns the team. 
What I will say is the thing, and I've had my questions about Leon Rose and how he's gone about his business. The thing that is, has always remained most encouraging to me about Leon Rose is I think his relationship with James Dolan and the trust factor there is such that Dolan will remain hands off. But then again, you know, like I brought that point up to Howard Beck, who I interviewed before the season. He's a noted Knicks like critic and he, he needles them left and right. And even he pointed out, like, in fairness to James Dolan, he's been hands off for several presidents in a row now. Mm-hmm. Like he was hands off mm-hmm. with Phil until things got to a point where he just like he had to step in and fire Phil. Um, and then that ultimately led to uh, Leon Rose being hired after Steve Mills plan went up in smoke. So like Dolan, to his credit, hasn't really meddled since like the mellow trade you know and that and we're talking now all of a sudden it's 13 years ago right unless i'm like getting my years wrong so yeah, yeah. 12 years ago so mm-hmm. it's been a while it's tricky because i agree and i remember even when james dolan brought in phil jackson i was like okay the silver lining and the bright spot of this is that now james dolan won't be interfering and in making bad decisions and even as phil like slowly made worse and worse decisions i was like well at least he's making the bad decisions <laughs> like at least it's the guy he hired to run the team so i do agree that he hasn't really been involved in the team stuff in the past couple of years you get more scary things with the other stuff like the facial recognition sure. thing where he's banning people who either write negative things about him in the media or Charles or Oakley <laughs> people who work for law, law firms who uh, sue him or beloved Nick legends Charles Oakley <laughs> I mean for me that more makes me feel not icky as a fan but like I definitely feel that J- like James Nolan does, is not someone that I respect or like I, I think he is a, a <laughs> small petty man who um, makes life very difficult for a lot of people because he mm-hmm. is a small petty man and that's not like great but then again like which billionaire owner is sure. someone that any fan base is going to be like oh man i love this guy I wish other I than mark cuban over. maybe no one honestly and even and i mean well yeah. even cuban's and, you know with the well especially sure, with that yeah. how that organization has been oh, on earth yeah, as yeah, being yeah. Yeah. Not not exactly great to its female employees several times now over the past but several years. But I digress. Um, but yeah, that that stuff with Dolan exists. At the end of the day, it doesn't bother me too much because I don't think that impacts the front office's ability to construct a winning team. I don't think any player or star out there is going to be like, I'm not going to come to the Knicks because James Dolan is petty. You know, I, maybe that. I, and look, I say I don't know that for a fact. I, that is what I assume. But. Who knows? I hope you're prepared to go to a Knicks game in full disguise after saying what you just said about James Dolan. But uh, (laughs) I would agree. I think ultimately what you want out of an owner is willingness to spend money to make the team good. And I feel like Dolan has shown himself as someone who's generally willing to do that. So uh, ultimately, that's kind of what you're looking for as a fan, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think I do think they will spend. Um, they're obviously not going to be a luxury tax team this year. I think the following season they'll want, it's going to be, t- I mean, if things go according to plan, they're definitely going to be a luxury tax team. So for anybody listening who doesn't know what that means, basically half of all NBA teams wind up in the luxury tax, which is like you have to pay a penalty for spending so much above the, the cap. But the thing is you want to try to avoid being a luxury tax team until you are a contender. And the fact that they haven't been in the tax for a few years, I don't begrudge them that one bit because they, that's just good team management because when you're in the tax, it, it restricts your ability to do certain things. What you wouldn't want is if you have a team that is um, potentially a, a contender and you have your owner cutting costs because they want right. to stay out of the tax, which there are teams that do that. And that's mm-hmm. a situation where I, if I just as a fan, I would be much more frustrated by that than mm-hmm. any facial recognition stuff that like James Dolan does. Sure. Yeah, because we've seen teams in the past recently do that. I feel like the Rockets with Harden and CP3, like that whole era, that was always, they would always do these weird little moves at the trade deadline to get under the tax. Even the Bucks before their championship run, there were little moves like that. So, right. When you have the ability to get up there and really go for it, you want that owner to be able to put his money where his team is. And, oh no, who will think of the billionaires and the more money they have to pay (laughs) for a winning basketball team that they own? But Earlier, Jonathan, you talked about 
you know, that when you're doing like the post game streams, for example, with Nick's film school and you're trying to cater to the fans and stuff, you did mention that some fans are more level headed. Other fans are going to be the folks that are, you know, thinking that the world is ending if the team loses or thinking that the team is unbeatable if they win. What is it like for you just to try to manage those fan expectations when you are interacting with the fans? I do feel like genuinely you have a good read on not being too doom and gloom and not being too over exuberant. What is it like? Because I know Nick's fans and any sport fan there'll be a huge spectrum of that passion leading into delusion what is it like to you know work with the good and the bad the positive and the negative it's gotten easier over the years i gotta say like that it was so again i had the pod in 18 2018 19 where i talked about that already 2019 20 uh was the year after they didn't get kd and it was just an absolute can i curse on this podcast <laughs> Yes, it was, you an, can. it was an absolute shit show. And then Fisdale got fired and everybody was kind of hyped up about the Mike Miller experience and then the pandemic hit. So again, kind of everybody on the same page. 2020-21 was Thibodeau's first year where, again, it was just all gravy. It was all positive vibes. There wasn't a whole lot to disagree about other than the occasional person like, you know, uh, how could they continue to start up for Peyton, yada, yada, yada. The first year it became really challenging was the, the year after that. Because that's when everything fell apart and everything went wrong and everybody had different people that they wanted to blame. And i that's the first year I think I really noticed Nick's fandom really fracturing. And it, that was challenging for me because like I was still, I'm obviously I was very emotionally invested. And like my big thing is I'm a Thibodeau guy. I'm a big time Thibodeau supporter. I think he's a great coach. I think he's an asset to the organization. I think like every coach, he's not perfect, but I've generally been a believer in him. And so that season with post games, it was very difficult for me because people would be calling for Tibbs' job. And I'm like, this guy won coach of the year last year. Like, I, I understand it's been a bad year, but there are a lot of reasons for that. And then I think for me, that process was very, um, it was necessary because it kind of helped me or forced me to compartmentalize how I approach this. Now, the flip side of that is I am 1000% less emotional as a fan now than I used to be. Like I, you know, like a lot of fans, like if the Knicks used to lose, I wouldn't be able to like get a good night's sleep for several days, which but they used to lose a lot. Um, now it's like, I watched there were years. He didn't sleep full years. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. It's why I'm like 80. Um, but like now it's like, I'm into the game, you know, I root, obviously for the team during the game, obviously engaged during the post game and everything. And then I write my newsletter and then I kind of just flip a switch and I turn it off. Um, does, you know, and, and I think that I've been able to, that's, but that's also kind of tough because like I'm in the consumer business. I give consumers a product that they either choose to consume or they choose not to consume. And the thing about, you know, 2023 and moving forward is my God, are there more and more places for people who want to consume content about their team to get that mm -hmm. content? Um, so if I'm not giving them what they want, well, there's 18 other Nick's podcasts or YouTube channels or whatever, where they can go and find someone who says all flowery, nice things about their favorite player or, or, or this, that, and the other thing. Or vice versa, spouts doom and gloom when the team isn't doing well. Like, so it's kind of like towing a line where ultimately at the end of the day, I can only, and this has always been my guiding light. I'm only going to say what I believe. You will never hear me say anything that I don't believe, but I think a lot of it has to do with how I phrase it and how much, you know, benefit of the doubt. If something is a reasonable take that I disagree with, I will always at least say, okay, well, look, I don't see it that way, but here's why that might make sense or here's why that might be true. And I think people respect that. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, for as much as many segments of fans or certain segments of fans are, are, are the loudest when it comes to social media or like content creation or whatever, I truly believe that the vast majority of fans are very much down the middle. And they just want to hear mm -hmm. someone who offers a reasoned take. And I... I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're the number one Knicks podcast, you know, that exists. So I, I have to think that we're doing something right by kind of giving that more measured reasoned approach, even though if you listen to certain post games, you would think that I'm the most hated man in New York because of one view <laughs> or another that people don't agree with. But, you know, such is life. I think it's also easy to forget that the fans who are constantly on social media 
are the minority of fans. Like the majority of people who consume sports, exactly. even if they're into them, even if they watch most of the games, are not ingesting all of this information all the time or posting these hot takes. And, and I think like as someone who is on sports Twitter a lot and like specific team Twitter, I have to remind myself of that when then I go to a game and I'm like, oh yeah, no, the people on on Twitter are not representative of people as a whole. And I think that's also like evergreen for society, but particularly for sports. And, and then even you could even, you know, separate it out more than that. Like there's the loudest of the loud people on social media. Then there are the people who are on social media, but maybe not don't say anything or don't write anything, but they're, they, they see what goes on. They pay attention to what goes on. They will like watch me do a post game or like read my newsletter or whatever the case may be. And then there's the majority of fans who like, you know, it's become a derogatory term, but are just like casual fans. People who are like, you know, in New York right now, be like, oh yeah, the Knicks, like they were, I, I think they were pretty good last year. I might like tune in to see what they're doing this year. Like in a way, those are the fans that I, you know, am most curious about, like what, what will bring them really back into the fold in a big way. And, and are, are people like that out there? Like someone who, who, like, I don't think a lot of those people will like sit there and watch me for two hours on my post game, but you know, mm -hmm. what's going to intrigue those people enough to tune in for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, you know? And I think that's a question. Anybody who produces content for a living, um, you know, has to be asking themselves. Yeah. Well, I think one thing that could bring them in is some of the cool interviews that you've been able to do on the podcast. Most notably, you've gotten to interview the greatest broadcasting team in all of sports. You've had a Breen episode and you've had a Clyde episode. I did. Obviously, as a fan, those had to be very cool. And I think you did a very good job of, you know, keeping it collected <laughs> during those. But leading up to doing those interviews, was that, you know, a rush of excitement? Were you nervous? What was it like just yeah. to talk to these folks who you've been hearing, or at least in Clyde's case, watching and hearing for yeah were you, you know, writing numbers. a lot of rhyming poetry to get ready for Walt? <laughs> i mean was there a thesaurus in front of you the whole time <laughs> i'll say the clyde one first because the clyde one came after i was a little nervous for the clyde one but not why not for the reason you'd think it was so that was part of a promotional like he was promoting something and i apologize i forget what he was promoting i would say it now if i remembered but <laughs> so it was like and it was a understanding that there would be no like questions about the actual Knicks team it would be much more general mm -hmm. stuff the reason I was nervous that sure. day is because um, Clyde's uh, like we usually I usually I think at the time maybe I recorded interviews on Zoom and like Clyde didn't have access to Zoom. So I had to like go mm. find like a call recorder and then figure out how to like I, oh I think Andrew wasn't available like that day. It was my, my producer is amazing. But like he wasn't available because Clyde had to do it at some weird time and whatever. So I was just worried about getting the audio. It was like no video or anything. Yeah. So that's why I was nervous for that. But I was just. I was consumed by that. I wasn't worried about the actual interview. The Breen one, I was fucking petrified for. <laughs> because Mike Breen, to me, I mean, he was on my, like, Mount Rushmore of people that I would want to interview. And, um, you know, came together and got to do it. And he was just, you know, from the first moment of it, I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm talking to a living legend. And he has this air about him. Not that he like th like thinks he's better than anybody, but like you, at me talking to him, I was like, this person is so much better than me and everybody else. And I just it was, it was that was a challenge, and I it took me a few minutes to settle in. That was also probably the first really big interview I did. Subsequent interviews after that, like I'd like to think the Van Gundy interview I did, I was a little bit more at ease for. I got to talk to Jeremy Lin. That was cool. Um, so yeah, like you know, you, you get more practice, you get you know a little bit less nervous each time. Um, but yeah, but the Breen interview, I think, was the only interview I think I've ever done that I was I could genuinely say I was nervous for because that was that was a little big one. Did you get to do that uh, in person or was that um, like over Zoom? It was via Zoom, and uh, yeah, it was via Zoom. So I would it would have been cool if it was in person though. Yeah, he seems awesome though. He seems like such a good guy, and it's like it's so it's so satisfying when you're nervous about something and then someone is just completely present and like kind and gracious with their time. And you're like, oh, I get to still love this guy. Yeah, no, he's like not a real person. He's so nice <laughs> and kind. Like, just very quick backstory. The reason I, how I got the interview was we, back when me and JB, Jeff Ballone, who now uh, does Mets Fix, um, when we were doing Nick's Film School together, we did a Thanksgiving drive. And someone gave um, a very large donation to the Thanksgiving drive. And you could, and didn't publicize it at all. But you could see the email of all the people who give donations. And sure enough, it was Mike Breen. 
So I had his email at. So when I started for the one year, I covered games in person for what was then Nick Sports Illustrated. The I think it was the second game I covered. I went up to him. I just was like, not to try to fan out or anything, but just be like, hey, just want to thank you. That was so kind. You didn't have to do that. And before I could even get the words out, he's like, Jonathan Mack, it's so nice to meet you. I'm such a big fan of yours. I read, he mentioned something that I had written like a few days before. I read a piece that really hit me and I was like, oh my God. And then this the last, guy knows who I am. <laughs> oh no, that's exactly that's literally what I said. Like, how does Mike Breen know who I am? And the last thing he said was, if you ever need anything, please feel free to reach out. Now, I knew if I went through the Nick, I wasn't getting anywhere because Nick's Nick mm-hmm. don't care for me very much. Um, but the, but I, I knew I had his email. And so I just dropped him a note when it was coming, it was coming up on our 300th episode. And I'm like, Hey man, you know, appreciate the offer so much. I would be honored if for our 300th episode, you could come on. He emailed me back within like the, the hour. He's like, tell me when and where thrilled to Amazing. do it. It's just like, who didn't need to do that? You know, like no. nobody would have ever known if he, if he didn't do that. Um, and then when, <laughs> real quick. And then when, when I was coming up on, I think, Van, I think Van Gundy was. 400. When I was coming up on 400, sure. What did I do? I was like, I would love to get Van Gundy. How do I get Van Gundy? Okay. Well, send Breen an email. I'm like, Hey, I, mm-hmm. I, would you possibly be able to put me into uh, in touch with like the ESPN booker who I could ask for like Jeff, mm-hmm. like to get me in touch with Jeff Van sure. Gundy? Emails me back again, half hour. Here's Jeff's cell. <laughs> Tell him I gave it to you. And you know, that's awesome. Sure enough, texted. Texted Jeff. He answered. I said, Mike Breen gave me, and he texted me right back. And he was like, Yeah, tell me when I wear. It's just like those people don't exist in the world, but he does. He's a real person. That's very cool. It's awesome. Just a real professional, super nice guy. And I can't think of a better note to end the interview on than us all agreeing that Mike Green is the best person (laughs) on earth. And we are all lucky to share the globe with him. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining. This was a delight. If people want to find you, Nick's Film School, all the stuff you're doing, where can they find you? Yeah, you could find me. but I'm not in my my other day job. <laughs> uh, writing about the Knicks for uh, Knicks Film School newsletter. You can just, it's on Substack, so Substack's becoming a big thing. I've uh, been very happy with to be on there for a bunch of years now, and love writing that newsletter. So if you like reading stuff uh, about your favorite team, come check that out. And then yeah, Knicks Film School podcast, the Knicks Film School uh, YouTube channel, uh, anything that pretty much anything that we we put out on audio. We also have a video of. We've actually been with doing some video exclusive stuff so if you're not subscribed to the next film school youtube channel feel free to go subscribe to that and then uh yeah just you know get ready to to really get into the thick of it i mean media day is three weeks from yesterday as we're recording this right now it'll be here before you know it and um yeah i mean i appreciate you guys having me on this was a lot of fun genuinely this was this was really cool i don't get to talk about myself or my journey that much so uh, anybody who does stuff like what I do, I mean, I think it, they appreciate the opportunity to do it every now and then. So uh, thank you guys for having me. Happy to have you. No and, uh, you know, feel free to uh, to give us Jeff and Gundy's cell phone if you, you know, if you feel comfortable. <laughs> and we'll, well, we promise we'll be totally responsible with it. <laughs> but thank you again. Anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horror Sources, hosted by Adam Amawala and Mike Schubert. Our editor is Kensei Saramaki. The website is by Kelly Schubert. The R is by Allison Wakeman. The music is by Bettina Kambamanez. And the social media is by both of the Horse Boys. Thank you to our producer-level patrons, Polly Burridge, Kendra Hadley, Salvatore Testa, Trust the Process, Siobhan Ellsbury, Don't Go Chasing Taco Falls, Bang, Bang, Roast Beef Debris, How About Them World Champion Denver Steamed Nuggets, Anna Reed, Steph Curry probably won't ever play with Damian Lillard, but he still hits freeze. Oh no, Damian Lillard's from Oakland, no. But also bang. But also bang. Hi Trish, Nicole Shepard, Stubby Boardman gets paid, Chase Underulo, Mr. Bubbles plays ball, Naked Rachel, Sydney Crosby is a vampire, but maybe not actually upon further investigation. Ginger Spurs Boy and Josh isn't rich. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Horse Hoops and on Twitter at Horse underscore Hoops because Horse Hoops was actually one of those grumbly Knicks fans that gave Jonathan a bunch of crap for no good reason because he seems like a really nice person. So I had to give that account. Not cool, man. 
Not cool. Not cool. Uh, you can go to our website, horsehoops.com, for links to some of the fun and also not so fun stuff that we talked about today. But all of that lives at horsehoops.com. And if you want to support the horse boys, you can do so at patreon.com slash horsehoops. We've got bonus audio, text, video. We're going to be getting more regular stuff up, especially as the NBA season comes back. Adam and I are going to basically do those things that we did for the NBA finals where we had just quick little like 10, 15 minute Zoom calls and then uploading those where we'll talk about the league or any particularly fun games we watched that week. Just something to ideally fill that gap of the off weeks. So we will put those up as the season goes on. And I've been putting up more just like voice memo notes of me just kind of letting my thoughts be known, like when the hardened news dropped and stuff like that. I've been putting that up on the Patreon as well. And there's the five on fives. There's all sorts of good stuff there. Patreon.com slash horse hoops and at horsehoops.com slash merch. You can get digital merch. You can get sub nerds. It's basketball t-shirts and more. But we're going to close this episode as we always do by putting our hands in the middle and saying something on the count of three. Feeling anything? Hmm. What could we say? You know what? I, I mean, I, I, you sound like you're going to say something. What do you got? I'll let you go first. No, I, I think I think my, my thing would make more sense after the next episode. Well, here's the thing. This is going to be the last episode that airs during the baseball regular season. And my beloved Chicago Cubs are Ooh. clinging, mm-hmm. clinging onto a playoff spot by half a game right now. It's tenuous mm-hmm. at, at the best. So I need some good juju for my Cubbies. Uh, if, you, if you can just give me a go Cubs go on three. I just, you know, I know it's a basketball podcast, but I, I, I really need this right now. Mike. I will take it. My baseball rooting policy, first and foremost, is my favorite team is the Yankees. Every other team can go fair, kick rocks. Fair. But the teams that my friends root for, I would like for them to do well. So this is under my corollary of teams that I will root for now that the Yankees have been, I believe, as of at least when this episode comes out, statistically eliminated from playoff contention. So I'm down to say go Cubs go. Oh, thank you so much. All right. One, two, three. Go, go Cubs, go! go. Clap go your hands, hands everybody. Chicago. Cubs. I will put a link to the song Go Cubs Go, which is basically the Cubs version of the 76er song. It's equally corny and ridiculous and fun, and I love it. One, two, three, four, five Cubs. <laughs> Sing about it. Please make the playoffs. Chew some Wrigley gum. <laughs> the original corporate sponsor. I can't believe Wrigley Field is actually the gum. I thought it was someone else. No. It's too good. It, it's, it sucks how good it is. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.